God, we, are, um, we have been so tremendously blessed this morning with the music, with the songs, um, with the hearts filled with joy. And I pray now for my friends here that what you've worked with me over the last several years now um, would manifest itself in a very clear and succinct way this morning. Um, may what, with the time that we have remaining, may, may you clear our minds of all of the other stuff in our lives that just needs to be silenced for a while. Help us to be fully here and fully present to the word that you will have for us this morning. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever noticed, if you follow the news, even if you just turn on the television, if you follow the newspapers, if you're online, whichever way that you get your news, have you ever noticed that after a while, a lot of the news just tends to be extremely depressing and sad and how bad everything is? I have found that the weeks where I get so busy that I don't follow the news, my week is actually better than when I hear about all of the horrible stuff that's going on in the world. Very seldomly, though, do we hear stories of the good stuff that's happening in the world. And what happens sometimes is that when we get so used to hearing bad stuff that we're just like, man, this world is horrible. This world is bad. Is there any hope? But every once in a while... Um, we, we are thrown a bit of good news. By the way, good news doesn't make money, which is why we always hear bad news. It's not that the world is so bad, it's just there's no money in good news. Except that this week in the New York Post, the, the title of an article I want to share with you is A Bum You Can Trust. Honest. Like, honest, really. And this is how it starts. A Manhattan homeless man had an emotional reunion yesterday with the kind-hearted ad executive who lent him her American Express platinum card outside a Soho restaurant in which, in what became a shining act of generosity, trust, and honesty. And this is what she says when she was asked why she did that or if she was worried. She says, I didn't have to thank him. I trusted him all along. They weren't necessarily friends. They had seen each other. They had encountered each other. But let me ask you this. When when you see somebody who's homeless, and, and you don't have to raise your hand or even agree with me, but I'm willing to suggest that there have been times when somebody asks for money um, and you, you're, you're, you're kind of hesitant or I have become hesitant to give them money, especially if it's the same person I see all around town doing the same thing and then asking for money for the stuff they shouldn't be buying. And so I'm hesitant. But I was taught a, very, I was taught a lesson one time when one of these um, homeless people actually came to our church. I had seen her asking for money, and then she came to the church, and I thought, okay, she wants more money. And so I, you know, so I went up to her, and I said, okay, how much do you want? Here's $40. Here, go. Like that, it became that, unfortunately, that's what happened. But she kept coming back, but she stopped asking for money. She wasn't really there for the money. We thought that if we threw money at her, that everything would be solved. Let's just get her food, get her money. But the reality is, is what she was needing was hope and some sort of shining light in her life that had become filled with despair. We have to take the time to get to know the people, especially those who are disenfranchised, who are poor, and who have less than we do. This lady lent her American Express card to someone she didn't know. I wouldn't suggest that you do that. But I would suggest that the next time you are asked for money, say, well, I'll buy you a hamburger. I'll buy you a burrito. If you're hungry, I will feed you. 
Now, this is a picture of the man. His name is Valentine. Don't know if that's his real name, but that's him. And I was talking to somebody, and this one young person told me, <laughs> if they gave me their credit card, I would have bought the whole store. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. But this guy only spent $25. He was an honest bum. A homeless man. I don't like the word bum. So I want you to open your Bibles. Oh, let me, let me go back to this part. This lady, she was light in a world of darkness. She was light in an otherwise dimly lit world. Now, I want to I draw your attention to a scripture. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to the book of John, chapter 1. John 1, verse 4. And the text will be on the screen, but it's always nice to have your Bibles. John 1. And this is what it says. In him, Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is light. In a world that is otherwise filled with darkness, in a world that is otherwise filled with despair and depression, filled with broken people and empty people, in a world where If we let ourselves, we can be convinced that there is no hope. In this world, God becomes human and takes flesh. And the the writer of the book of John describes Jesus as what? As what? Light. Light in a world of darkness. Now, if we think about darkness as hopelessness and without hope and despair, and Jesus comes in and he is described as light, some people might be tempted to think, well, this is the scripture being new age when they're using words like light? But the reality is that the Bible writer, especially John, used all sorts of metaphors to kind of get across the idea that Jesus, this light in a world of darkness, was hope. Jesus gives hope in an otherwise dark world. How many of you have ever experienced a time in your life where things weren't going exactly the way you hoped that they would go? And, and you think to yourself, there is no hope. There's nothing. There's nothing that can save me from what I'm going through. But if you are given a whiff of hope, what happens to you? You realize that whatever you're going through does not have the final word. When we, think as, um, when we think of darkness, when we're kids, have, how many of you were afraid of the dark when you were kids? Any of you? Come on. How many of you are still afraid of the dark? I, I, <laughs> I was actually, you didn't have to answer that one, but good to know. When I was a kid, our, our house, our, the way our house was set up, all of our rooms were on one side of the house, and all the way on the other end of the house was our kitchen. Now, sometimes in the middle of the night, I would wake up and I would be thirsty, to myself, okay, I need to go get some water, but I always dreaded crossing that abyss of darkness. My parents didn't believe in night lights or hallway lights, or they were penny pinchers, so we didn't have any lights on. And I would always be afraid that if I walked past through the hallway was fine, but it's when I got out into the open of the living room that stretched the second, like family room, I was always afraid that there was going to be something or someone there. I don't know where that comes from. But I was afraid, and so I usually wouldn't want to go across the living room. But if I was really thirsty, I wouldn't have a choice, and I would just run. Sometimes our lives are like that. We are afraid of the darkness and of the uncertainty that we are faced with, 
And yet the scripture tells us that Jesus is light in a world of so much uncertainty. As Dave, as Dave recalled, the economy, our 401ks, all sorts of stuff is just not going the way we planned. But even in the midst of uncertainty of not knowing what is next school year or what is waiting for you at your new job or what is waiting for you in a new marriage, despite the uncertainty, Jesus gives us light. And he reminds us that everything will work out the way it's supposed to. Now, I want to look at a verse. 1 John chapter 6. Four. There it is. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Who loves you? According to the text before, Jesus. When you are in a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't matter if everything is set up the way it's supposed to. It doesn't matter if everything is working out the way it doesn't matter. We've been talking about this for the last two weeks. When you entrust yourself, when you trust God with your life, perfect love casts out all fear. It's not that everything will be perfect. It's that regardless of what happens, God will continue to work miracles in your life. And I can attest to this because I, I've, I, I went, I've, I've been going, I've been going through tons of transition year. That doesn't work there. I've been going through a lot of transition in the last year. Hold on. I, I proposed to a girl that lived three hours away from me, and we prayed that we would be living in the same zip code. We were making decisions about our future without fully knowing exactly how it was going to work out. We placed our trust in God. And let me tell you, it's easy for me to preach it, but it wasn't easy for me to actually believe it and live it in my life. Can I get an amen? It's not easy even for us, even when it's our job. But God has a way of working things out, and we could not have imagined doing things any other way. Now, here's where we're going. It's 12 o'clock, so we're going we're gonna to go quickly. We're going to go to the next verse, and it's John chapter 1, verses 6 and 8. Now, Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus shines brightly. The darkness cannot overcome him. Nothing can defeat Jesus. Jesus beats death. And then he mocks it by saying, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light. And in this verse, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. You are John. Even if you're a woman, you're John. John's entire purpose of being was to give witness and give voice to the fact that there was one who was coming who would change the world and it would not be the same again. My question to you is this. Here's the thing. John was a promoter of Jesus. This is the question you have to ask yourself is, who are you promoting Who do you promote? Who do you witness to? Who do you talk about? Is it Jesus? That Jesus is the hope of all of the world? Or can you not get past talking about yourself? You see, when we think of darkness, we think of sin. But let me suggest another way of thinking of darkness. Darkness happens anytime someone is selfish. 
The reason Jesus was different than every other person wasn't just because he was God, but because as a human, Jesus gave up his right to marry, to have children. He gave up his right to get a lucrative career in tax collecting. He gave up his right to own a big house. He gave up his right to own a mule. I don't know. Jesus gave up his right to the very life that you say that you deserve. That's what makes Jesus different. Because he was not selfish. In a world of selfishness, Jesus is refreshing because he was not selfish. How many of you, don't raise your hand, know somebody in your life who is selfish? Do we like being around them? Some of you are like, I don't know anyone. That's because you're the one. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. We all are selfish from time to time. The world, as the Bible writers talk about, when we talk about the world, we talk about music and movies and TV and not eating certain things, and so we say we can't be like the world. But when the Bible writers talked about they were actually talking about don't be selfish like everyone else. Don't focus on empty things. Don't focus on things that are done in vain. Don't be selfish because Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You see, we often say, I've heard people say, no, 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 you're not the light of the world because you're filled with sin. You're horrible. You're a sinner. And yet Jesus tells us, you are the light of the world. The one who is the light gives you permission to be light in an otherwise dark world. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. How you live your life matters. How you live your life and how other people perceive you matters. Now, does this say, does this, oh, I forgot to switch the slide. Does it say, does it say, um, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see you, so that they may see your good works and then they will be saved? Does it say, let your light shine before others, do good works so that you can continue to earn your salvation? Is that what it says? No. What do your works, what do your good works attest to? If how you live your life, Others will see it, and they will give glory to God. If you are selfless, if you are not selfish, if you learn to look beyond yourself and look to help others around you, people will give glory and say, the God, I can believe in that God too. But when we as Christians are selfish, when we as Christians speak ill against other people or about other people, when we as Christians live as hypocrites. Those who are not Christians make judgments about God and say, if this is what your God is like, I want no part in it. Your life actually matters. Last week, we said that you are salt. This week, Jesus says, you are light in a world of darkness. 
And so the question we have to continue to ask ourselves is, what does that mean and what does it look like that we are light? First and foremost, if this is the only thing you take away, you are dark when you are selfish. When you are giving, generous, honest, caring, and kind, you are light. When you treat others with respect, you are light. Now, some of you might be thinking, Pastor Dave, this is fluff. Give us the good stuff of prophecy. To which I would say, that's what prophecy is all about. We are moving towards a world where there will be no selfishness, where there will only be The Bible writer describes it as there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more crying. The place that God actually wants us to live in actually is perfect. You and I must begin to live it like that now. To be a Christian doesn't mean that you have an insurance policy to go to heaven or be saved. To be a Christian says that you have just signed up to the most important, biggest club. I know, this sounds bad, but it's a metaphor. The biggest club that is called to be Jesus to the entire world. Jesus says, I am no longer here in person. I need all believers who make up the body of Christ to be my hands and feet in this world. You must be the light of the world. To those who are broken, you must bring healing and mend them. To those who are empty, you must fill them. To those who are hurt, you must bring reconciliation. To those who face despair, you must be hope. To those who have nothing, you must be everything. If we could live like that, not only would this world be a different place, but we would actually be living the way that Jesus lived in this world. Quick analogy. I have a friend who um, asked me um, if you can't, well, he had been approached by someone, not, not, no, nowhere near here, but he, had been, he was on his college campus, public school. He had been approached by a group of Christians. They said, are you saved? If Jesus came today, where would you spend eternity? And he was taken back like, I'm just trying to get to class this morning. <laughs> and he, I don't even remember what he said, but he says, you know, when people do that, it turns me off. And he's a Christian. It turns me away because it's like, is that it? Are you done? You prayed for me. I'm saved. Now that's it. And he says, if somebody, if there's a homeless man, he says, and you want to be the good news to him, what would you do? He says, are you going to go and ask him if he's saved? Are you going to go and pray with him and hope things get better? And I said, no, I can't. I said, I would give him a sleeping bag and food. And then maybe I would pray. You see, we think that as long as we tell people Jesus loves you and we pray for them, that somehow their life has changed. But that's not the case. I remember one time there was a man who was homeless and he kept coming to the church during the weekdays, you know, because he needed stuff. And, and it was really cold outside and um, in the valley, in the Imperial Valley, believe it or not, in the winters it gets chilly. And um, he needed, he, I, I couldn't afford to buy him a hotel um, the church had a policy that we could only help so much, and then after that, it gets kind of hard. Uh, but I lent him my sleeping bag. And the next day, I went to pick up my sleeping bag like it's still my sleeping bag. God is working on me to be selfless and not be so selfish. And it's hard. But we have to be reminded of this. Your life is not 
about you. Your life is not about you. Your life is not about you. This life, it's not about you. When we read the scriptures, it's not a story about how we get salvation. The Bible is actually a story about who God is. Primarily, the Bible is not for salvation. The Bible is about who God is and how God can be trusted and how He is always honest and how God has the power to grant you the life that He created you to live. The Bible is a story about God and, secondly, about the life that He invites you to live. When you live this life only about your needs, your cares, your concerns, and all that matters is that you are the most important person in your world, you are darkness, not light. Jesus says you are the light of the world. I want to read two more verses. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 16, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We will get to that text at a future date. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for God's good pleasure. Hold fast to the word of life, Jesus, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. How many of you... When you get to the end of your life, how many of you want to look back and say it was all meaningless and done in vain? There are things that we fill our time with now that are meaningless and all vanity. That is an empty kind of life. When all you care about is everything you're accumulating, and this is hard because we all live in America, we're a consumer-driven nation where... We buy and buy and buy because the commercial tells us that I need this thing because then my life will be complete. I'm not, uh, I'm not blind to that. There's things I like to buy. Don't ask him. But Paul says, when you're only chasing those things, that is all vain. It's vanity. It's meaningless. God is calling you to enter into the lives of the people that are all around you. God has called me to enter into your life so that we could make Orange a better place, not just the place that it's always been. I hope that one day we would be so immersed in our community that the Orange SDA church would become synonymous with Orange. I'm not exactly sure how we're going to do it, but we will, because that is our calling. A light hidden under a bushel basket. Here's another, here's another way. If there is darkness all around us and we have a light, we don't put a building on top of it because only the building would get light. Let me, let me, let me give this a better, different way. If your light only shines in these four walls, you are hiding it under a bushel basket. If your gifts are only used here, you are hiding your light under a bushel basket. If our gospel hope and good news is only preached from here, we are hiding our light under a bushel basket. 
Am I getting my point across? You were created for greatness. But the greatness that God creates us for is that we would give witness to the God who, when he spoke life into existence, wanted the very best for each one of you. And so with that said, I will close with the final text. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. And Paul writes, So whatever you eat or drink, in other words of saying, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of yourself or who? The only way you can do that is if you entrust yourself to God fully to the point where your life now becomes about living it for God and others. And I promise you that whatever you are afraid to give up, whatever you are afraid to stop pursuing because it's just for yourself, whatever fears you have of the life that you're leaving behind to the life of living selflessly for others, whatever fear you have, I guarantee you beyond the shadow of a doubt that the life that you will live will be so much better that your former life will be forgotten. To live in the kingdom of heaven, it's not about going somewhere far beyond the clouds. It's about living heaven on earth now. And one day we will be in the new heaven and the new earth. But until then, it is your call, your duty, and your responsibility to live heaven here and leave the former things behind. Are we proud that we know our God and grateful that we know him? Yes. Are you proud that you are a son or a daughter of God? Because he reigns on high. May my life reflect the beauty of my Lord. You mean more to me than any earthly thing. So won't you reign in me again? And that's how we can be a light in the world. Please rise with us as we sing.
you let your light shine in a world of darkness. May you shine like stars and extinguish all darkness around you. May your passion and fire for God never be dwindled. You are the light of the world. Live as though that is true. Amen. Thank you.